Point five, that God is not mighty and evil, but that there is another, an evil potency. Therefore, it is firmly to believe that because there exists in God no potency for evil by which he might bring evil things into existence, there is another principle, one of evil, who is potent in evil. From that one flows all evils which were, are, and shall be. It is evidently of him that David says, Why dost thou glory in malice, thou that art mighty in iniquity? All the day long thy tongue hath devised injustice, as a sharp razor thou hast wrought deceit. Thou hast loved malice more than goodness, and iniquity rather than to speak righteousness. to the hyperfixation where my friends come onto my show and tell me th- about things that excite them for 30 to 45 minutes or longer depending on the day. My name is Roma. I use the they and them pronouns. Today I'm joined by Wheels. Hey, I'm Wheels. I use they or she pronouns. And I'm here to talk about old religions as is my want. Ex- oh, I'm so excited. Uh, I mean, this is not your first time being on this show talking about old religions and I'm always excited for it. What I'm so hype, especially because I know almost nothing about old religions. I think most yeah. people don't know a lot about old religions, but you're definitely top tier on my list for, of learning from oh, on that thank topic. You. <laughs> it's one of my favorite things to ramble about when I'm at a party that I don't want to be at because <laughs> there's too many people and it's overwhelming. So I'll corner one person uh, away and tell them about uh, 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 cathars or whatever, which is what we're going to do today. Do you know what a cathar is? <gasps> no, I have no idea. <laughs> You'll find out later. Hell yeah. Oh my gosh. So b- before I learned about the cathars, last time we talked about... We talked about the Sethians last time. The um, Sethians. There we go. Sometimes might be known as the Sethian Gnostics, but listeners, I want you to have the same reaction that I do when I hear someone making a reference to like to quote unquote the Gnostics, which is to have like the Kill Bill alarm sound go off and you're with um because and this this will kind this idea will come up in, in our topic for today, but like the term Gnosticism came much later. It was a way that later writers described earlier movements and lumped together a bunch of different groups that were only similar in the as far as the 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 later writers were concerned. They were similar in some ways, but those similarities were emphasized by later writers. And so that category we have of the Gnostics is like far too broad. 
And that's like a really recurring thing in the study of religion that you have to be careful about. And today's going to be another cautionary tale like that. But yeah, the last time we talked about the Sethians, um, who now we might call a Gnostic group, although we should be careful using that word because it was a later thing made up. But yeah, that's who we talked about last time. Mm-hmm. I know we covered it before, but, but just in case listeners today have not listened to that episode, um, what what's your history with learning and studying old religions? Yeah, so uh, I'm not an expert. I won't claim to be, but um, in college, uh, I was a philosophy student, for which I apologize. No one should ever be a philosophy student. Oh my um, gosh, <laughs> I, I'm kidding. But but uh, we are the worst kind of person. Um, hey yo. <laughs> <laughs> but. I also ended up t- through that and and also to satisfy a lot of uh, gen ed requirements, I took a lot of religious studies courses, either to satisfy philosophy requirements or uh, gen ed. So I don't have any you know formal degree in the subject matter, but I did get a lot of university schooling in the matter, and it's just remained um, an interest of mine ever since. Hell yeah. And so... You're here with us in the Moonshot Network, um, so obviously a lot of people would know you from Moonshot. Um, I know you have a project you're working on. It's not quite released yet, but I do believe there's an episode of it on Patreon. Yeah, it's not even fair to say not quite really. <laughs> it takes me so long because, um, yeah, it's about this subject matter. It's a religious studies show called Total Depravity. You can indeed find the pilot episode of it if you are a... Uh, a patron in good standing with Moonshot, you should be able to um, watch that if you scroll back far enough in the feed. Um, or if you want, I'm sure I can get the uh, link for your listeners if they're patrons and have trouble finding it. But anyway, um, mm-hmm. it just, with that show, I want to make sure that I get everything right. And it's a hard subject matter about which to get everything right. Mm-hmm. Um so the research just takes a darn long time. I'm in the midst of writing the second episode. Made a lot of progress lately, so I'm hoping that I'll have the second episode done before too long. Um, and I want to make four before I release the first chunk of episodes. So eh, you'll see it in a few years, probably. Hell yeah. I'll be waiting. I'll be here. Patient. I got my little coffee. But I also make very random encounters uh, weekly, so... Uh... There's always that on the front burner that makes it take a little longer for <laughs> total depravity episodes. True. Hey, I mean, the actual play is important. It's important yes. for the diet. Oh, yes. man. So for today's topic, uh, where did that specifically become? And is it just something that was interesting during your studies in university or did you? Uh, no. So what we're doing today is... um it kind of comes as an offshoot of what I'm researching for the next Total Depravity episode. For the next Total Depravity, I'm going to be talking about a religious, uh, an extinct religious movement called Manichaeism uh, or Manichaeanism, depending on how you want to spell it, mm-hmm. uh, which is an ancient religion. And I'm working on that. Uh, the subject matter of today's, uh, of what we're going to be talking about today is. Um, much uh, later than that, with this subject matter, we're talking about like the 1100s, so medieval as opposed to ancient. Mm-hmm. But there are actually some like some loose connections between 
Manichaeism and what we're going to be talking about. So it just like I had heard about this subject matter before and bumped into it again as I was doing my research for for that episode of Total Depravity. And uh, it's a fun little rabbit hole. And I don't know that I would ever do a full episode on it for Total Depravity because it gets into because it's not like not very not a ton of like theology or like ideas stuff to talk about, which is what I like to do on that show. It's more like it's more like politics and stuff when you get into the nitty gritty, which thankfully today Ooh. we won't. <laughs> but Woo. yeah, so that's that. Heck yeah. I realize that uh, sometimes having like specific knowledge backgrounds will probably know. How do I want to phrase this? I have mentioned before, and I'll say it again. I don't know much at all about especially old religions, modern religions. Like I know the base surface level amount of stuff. So I'm probably going to ask a lot of questions or please do. Perfect. Okay. And so uh, I know the listeners might be like of varying levels of understanding. So I know that there's a lot of people, especially with the last episode, were like, oh, hey, like, hell yeah, this is my my shindig. And I'm like, oh, hell yeah. Cool. But yeah, I think that's it. I, I know very little. I'm very excited to ask questions and I'm very excited to hear you talk about this. Yeah, and feel free to just like straight up interrupt me if you have a question, because sometimes I get on long winded sentences. But if you got a question, that's more it's more important that I like cover things that I wouldn't be thinking to cover that would be important because, yeah, it's easy to forget that sort of thing. But um, should I just get into it? Yes. Let me grab my timer. The timer, I think, is just a formality at this point. But yeah, yeah I might be able to get it in under the timer today because like the gist of it shouldn't be that long. And that's okay. what we're doing today is the gist of it. So Hell yeah. Well, I'm pressing the timer in three, two, one, go. Okay, let's talk about Cathars. So Woo! like I said, we're in the uh, 1100s or, or that's where most of our interest is going to be. Um, but I actually kind of have to start backwards because in the late 1100s into the 1200s, Catholic Church launched a crusade in the region we're about to talk about um but this is before uh you know late like you know later crusades would involve um trying to take jerusalem from you know from ottoman or or rather from muslim hands right Mm -hmm. um but this is a crusade within catholic europe so this so kind of a different element there but the Catholic Church launches a crusade to stamp out heretics in an area of France called Languedoc, uh, which is like in the south of France. Mm-hmm. Um, they do a crusade. They destroy, sit, you know, the the, you know, they they attack cities and and kill and execute people if it's if it was considered like a center of that heretical opposition to the church, um, mm-hmm. and and all of the issues are today would seem pretty idiosyncratic what they're fighting over uh, and what they would consider heretical. But it was important enough that the Catholic Church saw it as a threat that these these movements were happening in this region that were that they considered heretical. So they sent in this crusade. And then after that, they sent in all of these inquisitors to like make sure that the, the stamping out that they had done was finished. Right. Yeah. Oh, quick so, like, question. Yeah. What is an inquisitor? Because I keep hearing this yeah. word and I don't know what it means. Like I vaguely know what crusade means, but like, inquisitor just sounds scary as a whole. 
they're both pretty scary. I wouldn't, you know, you don't want to be on the receiving end of a crusade or an inquisition. A Ooh. crusade is going to feel like a war uh, because it's a bunch of people coming in and killing people, destroying buildings, capturing, you know, capturing leaders and military, you know, um, crusade is going to feel like uh, uh, the church is invading you if you're on the receiving end of it. An oh inquisition, God. on the other hand, is uh, some dude from another country, some Catholic uh, 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 monk or, or, or higher in rank from likely another country is going to come into your village and knock on every door and interview, quote unquote, uh, use, use enhanced interrogation techniques um, oh my Lord. to figure out um, if any of the heresy that they wanted to stamp out with the crusade remains. Um, and if it does, either force a conversion or execute the person. Um, or, you know, some variation of that. Not fun. No! Oh my goodness! <laughs> so, the reason we kind of have to start from the 1200s and work back is because, you know, history is written by the victors. I'm sure you've heard that. Mm -hmm. um, the, the victors were the Catholic Church, right? Like, uh, the Cathars were stamped out, uh, or, or rather, uh, heresy in, in, in that region was stamped out. Mm -hmm. um, and so, our description of those people and what they believed and how they were, what their protest against the church, how that manifested and what they believed in, uh, what we know about that comes largely, largely from the writings of the Inquisitors ra rather than those being interrogated, tortured, executed, etc. So we don't have a fantastic picture of those uh, earlier years of those movements. That, that quote from the beginning that I read is from a um, late 1200s Cathar who is writing, um, like writing down doctrines, but that's after the crusade, right? So it's hard to say, like, how what, was it different before the crusade? You know, like, how would those beliefs have, have differed? Um, it's tough to say um, yeah. because we only have either the inquisitors uh, sources or some, but not a lot of sources of Cathars who lived after the inquisition, although they didn't live long because as I said, um, the crusade and inquisition were largely successful. So there are some people who still today say like, Oh yeah, our group is like, uh, we trace our lineage back to the Cathars, but in, but strictly speaking, the group that comprised the Cathars in the 1200s no longer exists um, because of the crusade. Hey, yo. That's the basics of, like, the history. Do you have any questions before I get into the, uh, the other bit <laughs> uh, <laughs> that, that's hard to get into? No, I, my brain is, like, I can't help but, like, put like uh put myself in people's shoes like if i'm watching a horror movie i'm i'm now the person getting you know the damage in the horror movie or if i'm watching a romance novel yeah. or reading a romance novel i'm like ah oh, yes i'm i'm the main love interest but in this situation i'm just like holy crap if somebody came to my door and was just like hey are you catholic now and i just look around my room and i'm like i don't know i've got frankie from one piece i've got gojo up here i don't know man <laughs> <laughs> um 
it just that, that's just kind of where my brain went for a couple of seconds. But I think mo- all of that stuck pretty good. I think I just trying to figure out like, what does Cathar, where did Cathar come from? So is it just like a combination, just a title they gave that group of people or? That question is, uh, therein lies the rub. So I can give you two answers to this question because this is a subject matter about which religious scholars are not in agreement. Basically two camps, and I don't know which one is right, but I can give you one or the other. So for I'll give you both. But okay. to start, I gotta give you one or the other. So do you so you you know listen to the it's sort of a do you wanna listen to the devil wheels on your left shoulder or the angel wheels on the right <laughs> shoulder? Uh I'll just have you yeah, I'll just have you pick left or right and that'll determine which I start with. Um, well, let's go through one ear and out the other. Let's start with the left. Okay, cool. Uh, I had in my head that that was the, the devil on your left shoulder. So, <laughs> uh, so we're going to kind of rip the bandaid off and get into the real tricky bit, which is that the Cathars might never have existed. Oh, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it is true that there was dissent among church leaders and um you know generally the populace of um that region of france and in northern italy and it's also true uh as we already talked about that after the inquisition there are you know in the 1200s there are groups who are like yep we are cathars here are the things we believed you know i started this episode with a quote from one of those people mm. but What's tricky is that we don't know for sure if there was even a single group, you know, called Cathars organized in any sort of way before. It might just be. And in fact, it, it, it you know, it's almost certainly more nuanced than there was a group called the Cathars that were flourishing here. And probably, according to the skeptics, you know, the more uh, the, the people who say the Cathars didn't exist in the 1100s, they're going to say that. There were a bunch of reasons, you know, because I was trying to get into like, get into this bit of the, you know, figure out the 1100s, like read a little bit up on it of like, try, you know, try to read a little more than I had heard previously and to prepare for this and like getting into the nitty gritty of it. It's like, oh, wow. It's like, you know, there was dissent about the, uh, the election of the cardinal, blah, 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 and the, uh, and the. Georgian reform, and it's like, oh my god, I know nothing about this, like, 1100s Catholicism politics. Oh my. So it gets really difficult uh, for me as a, as a non-expert to really get all of the reasons that there was dissent in this region at the time. But suffice it to say, a lot of it was political, a lot of it was about, like, um, the, the church leaders there's connection with the monarchy and how that kind of might have pulled them away from the uh from being super loyal to like the papacy uh to like the pope so they might have been more loyal to the to their king or their uh archduke or whatever than they were to the to the church even though they were church fathers of the region and that might have been enough to launch a crusade right Mm -hmm. um just that uh you know they weren't playing ball but the skeptics think that what happened is that once the Crusade happens, and once they send in the, particularly once they send in the Inquisitors, 
these inquisitors are just like monks and shit who who have been taught on on ancient writers, like books by ancient writers talking about how they dealt with heretics of their era, like the Manichaeans or like uh, the Sethians we talked about last week. So that so the monks of the 1100s that would be the inquisitors are learning how to do how to root out heretics from ancient writers talking about an entirely different kind of them heretic. And they might have accidentally just kind of transposed. They're like, oh, okay, these people in France in 1100 with me right now, they're heretics. So they must be the same kind of heretics that I've been reading so much about from like 600 years ago. Uh, Especially because you probably don't speak, the Inquisitors usually didn't speak the language of the people that they are interrogating. Oh, man. So oh. it ends up being that, like, the picture that we have of the Cathars, you know, as presented to us by the Inquisitors, it's impossible to say whether how much of it actually existed in the sentiment of Christians in southern France at the time, and how much of it was a creation of the Inquisitors that then later people kind of took on like, kind of reclaimed, I guess you would say, to use, like, modern parlance, to be mm-hmm. like, yeah, we are Cathars, actually. Like, uh, and we'll get, I'll get into what that means and, like, what they, what those people believed and that sort of thing, but, um, but the thought it w- was that, like, the Cathars of the 1200s were, were people who, as, as a reaction to the Inquisition, were like, yeah, we actually do believe the things that you're accusing us of, we just think it's good <laughs> um, as oh. like a as like kind of a defiance to the people uh, inquisiting them. Does that make sense? Yeah, I'm just sitting here. I'm like, either this was completely planned out or a project management's worst nightmare. Like, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Uh, I'm so strong. <laughs> I can't even I mean, I could see it happening because. People have sucked in history and in modern times, but like, oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, it sucks. Um, <laughs> any way you look at it, it sucks. Either there was this group and and their, you know, the, the, the tradition. So the skeptical narrative that I've been describing has only been, it only came about in like the 90s, like mm-hmm. the 1990s. Um, for most of uh, you know, before that, everybody thought that, yeah, there was this group that, you know, took the later writers kind of at face value, you know, the 1200s writers at face value that there was indeed this, this group that was like this kind of organized counter church in the Languedoc region of France. And that that's why the crusade was launched and that that's, you know, who the inquisitors were rooting out. But yeah, when you actually arrange the text that we have in chronological order, you only start seeing references to Cathars as a group and to, to even just to the idea of there being like one organized counter church that was being uh, uh, inquisited. I don't even know if that's the right form of the term, but anyway, yeah. that there was like one church that was being uh, one heresy that was being rooted out. That was like an organized thing. That's what's been called into question. Sorry, that was a rambling sentence, but yeah. No, it all made the... sense. It all tracks. I am hanging on. Goodness. So now you know the two. You know, now you know the two narratives. There's either there was 
there was that church and they were stamped out. Uh, and, and, you know, the writings that we have from those 1200s writers do represent a belief system that preexisted them mm-hmm. or they didn't exist in the 1100s and, and, and came into existence through reaction formation, through interaction with uh, these inquisitors. Mm-hmm. But now that we've got all of that annoying historical nuance out of the way, do you want to talk about like beliefs and things? Because we actually can talk about what those 1200s Cathars uh, believe to some, with, with some level of certainty. Yeah, I actually, I, you know, there's what I think I know that at least with what I think modern like Catholics are believing in, but I ha- honestly have no idea. I just, I, I, I believe in my little baby boy, Jesus, my little kitty cat. He's, yeah. well, I can't believe in him because he's real, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, so the, um, one of the key distinguishing factors between, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll like, I'll, I'll keep saying these are the, the, like the 1200s version that we know did exist. When we look at um, what they believed, a, a key difference between them and um, the Catholic Church um, is that instead of uh, the seven sacraments that the Catholic Church had, uh, they had the Cathars had a different one. Um, you know, the sacraments being like baptism and confirmation and uh, boy, I didn't grow up Catholic, so I don't remember what all of them are, but it's like. You know, it's these actions that we can take in the physical world that, depending on what kind of Christian you are, either metaphorically or or literally participate in some sort of spiritual, corresponding spiritual action, right? So, like, Mm -hmm. you're getting baptized as either a representation or a literal act of, like, cleansing your soul, or you're taking communion, the Eucharist, uh, to either metaphorically or literally um, eat the body of christ right um Mm -hmm. these are sacraments and the cathars have a different one um called and this is like my favorite uh, i don't really know a lot of latin but this is like my favorite vocab word of the episode uh it's a latin word consolamentum i don't know it's fun to say I like uh, it a lot, honestly. The consolamentum <laughs> uh, is what's depicted in that picture I sent for you for the um the out the the episode art. Yeah. So the belief was that um you had to be initiated uh, as a uh, as a good Christian by a by an by another because um, that's what they would call themselves is just other good Christians because they didn't necessarily use the term Cathar as self-identification all the time until later. But, you know, it, you would need to be late. You would need to uh, be initiated by another uh, Cathar, and that would take the form of they would lay their hands on you and they would say a prayer, and that would kind of, like, initiate you into the, the church formally. And then also, before you die, the same thing has to happen again in your final moments. So it, it's like preparing you for death essentially that's the sacrament that the cathars had that was very important uh called the consolamentum you know that's yeah i hadn't considered that that is not something i've in my little autistic brain world i was just like wait you gotta like prep that far in advance for death (laughs) yeah yeah so you both have to do it earlier in life as an initiate you have to be initiated and then also right before death you need 
ideally you need like a church father around you to do it but like if you know worse comes to worse and you die on the battlefield or whatever any christian who knows you know they're the, the right hand movements and uh will do kind of thing best um, best case scenario you got a father but any, anyone will do anyone will exactly. be fine yeah <laughs> and one of the theological reasons behind the consolamentum is uh likely also why a lot of the inquisitors got things confused because it's likely that the laying on of hands was just, you know, like some sort of cultural thing that was happening and didn't necessarily have like tons of like theological meaning to it and might have just been like, yeah, we do we do that around here. It's tradition or whatever. We get one of the elders to lay their hands on you before you die. It's just, you know, it's like it helps you pass on, prepares you for the Lord, you know. But to inquisitors, it might have looked very similar to uh, some ancient, her- different, uh, what they would consider heretics, um, the Manichaeans, who I'm doing that episode of Total Depravity about. Mm-hmm. Um, they, be- they were uh, what you would call dualists, which means that they believe in a, dis- in a distinct, like, there is a good spiritual world and there is a, um, well, I should, I, I, I I should be more general if I'm talking about just dualists in general. I should say there is like a spiritual world and there is a material world and they are fundamentally distinct and they are opposed. And the interaction between spirit and physical um, is like a key component of how the theology of Manichaeism works. And so they believed that there was like light hidden in everyone that was this like kind of spiritual light in everyone uh, that was trapped in our material bodies that that had to be released back into the spirit world for for things to be as they should be in the universe. And so they and so Manichaeans and also um some of the groups that they would have called Gnostic had um beliefs like this. And it's possible that they saw the laying of hands in the Languedoc. Uh you know, they saw this the stuff like the laying of hands as like indicative that the people there were trying to like it was like, oh, releasing the light out of this person before they die. They just kind of, they they made two they they made a connection between two points that maybe they shouldn't have, and that's possibly where some of the confusion uh, arose. Assumed. I should be careful about that because it's not for certain that that's where the confusion is. But like, that's an example of where some of this confusion between ancient heretics and these eleven hundreds you know, dissenters where that confusion might have happened in the minds of the Inquisitors. Yeah, that makes sense. That tracks, you know, especially if there's like a language barrier or you're not really like exactly able to explain it. That 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 does make sense, Uh, but not Um, in the ways that I want it to make sense. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, What else should I cover about their beliefs? We're probably getting close to time. Um, Boy. Uh. So, okay, so the Cathars of the 1200s who, you know, who did exist end up taking on this dualism, right, that may or may not have kind of been, like, imposed upon the people of this region. Whether or not it pre-existed the Inquisition or not, um, dualism kind of did end up uh, flourishing and developing there for a little while until it, it died out as well. But 
one of the reasons that that was a belief that the Catholics wanted to stamp out is because those dualists believe that because the because they believe that the material world is bad and the spiritual world is good, they didn't believe that Jesus had a physical body and rather that he was a spiritual being who only appeared physical when he was here on earth. And therefore, you know, the dying on the cross thing is not key to, you know, it's, it's, it's not a key component in the salvation theology or of, of the Cathars of the 1200s. Um, to them, Jesus's act was saving the in, act that saved the world was, you know, establishing the church that, you know, the true church that would, you know, follow him and his principles and, and, and being part of that true church is what saves you rather than, you know, particularly being absolved of sin because of his death on uh, a cross. And so the Catholics are pretty set on the whole, he had a physical body, he died in the cross thing. They've built a lot around that. So um, it's another reason why dualistic thought like that is quite threatening to the Catholic Church because, you know, they need to keep the, the physicality of, of Jesus' suffering um, factors into the theology a lot. So someone who rejects that altogether uh, is, is a threat. So that's also interesting. That's so... Oh my goodness. Like, I've been studying business from small to like corporate levels my entire collegiate life. And I just keep hearing things that these churches are doing that just sounds like them trying to retain customers. Oh yeah, yeah, and yeah. It's oh, so yeah. just like, oh my goodness. <laughs> it's this it it, it really uh, th there are a lot of comparisons. And like here, yeah, you could think of it the same way as like they they can't allow this theology to spread because it might make them lose congregants, right? They if they don't have to come and take the communion to be saved, if they only need some random bishop from France to lay hands on them before they die, they're not going to be uh they're not going to be tithing to us if they don't think they have to kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. Ooh, -wee. and it's there's I'm trying to keep my brain from seeing every single thing as something completely terrible, but also I it's hard when a lot of the things I hear are just completely terrible. Does that make sense? I'm trying not to be disrespectful when I'm expressing this emotion because I know that there's there's good people out there, obviously. But well, I mean, there's you know, there's for every inquisitor, there's also like the the people being inquisited, <laughs> uh, the inquisitees were also <laughs> religious believers, right? They just believe yeah. slightly differently. So there's a there's a whole span of religious experience and it is often used by power um in unfortunate yeah. ways but the belief itself uh, or rather belief itself is neutral it just matters who's yeah. using it and how they are but um yeah yeah we can mostly wrap it up there um a little ramblier maybe than my last one because this is farther out of my particular area of interest i'm more into the ancient stuff but mm -hmm. um you know, learning about this thing where these medieval scholars learned a little too much about the ancient stuff that I also like reading about and possibly f like fanficked their way into doing a genocide against a group that didn't exist before they started. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> and I don't know. That just struck me as wild. 
So probably, it is yeah, wild. Hopefully it was uh, somewhat coherent. I didn't butcher it too much, but. No, it, it tracks. I think I just I'm spending a lot of my time make what's the face? I'm trying to think of the right face, but it's just kinda like when their their eyes are like looking two separate ways and they're like, oh my god. <laughs> like, <laughs> so so much has happened. Um and you can say that about everything, but uh I guess it's kind of blowing my mind a little bit. Um for I do have some questions about the thumbnail you sent me, just so I can yeah. get, if you if if you're able to answer the question, so obviously yeah. we see uh, I'm assuming a bishop of some sort laying their hands on on someone probably. Yeah, so I don't the, know what the word the is. Image it's like a circle, and in the circle you've got two monks in brown on the right who are the Catholics, uh, and then you have the um you know you have the depiction of the Cathars giving this person, the consolamentum. So yeah, they're laying hands on this person who is kneeling um, and providing that sacrament that they do. So the, um, so it looks like there are two um, uh, Cathar fathers or initiates who are yeah giving the consolamentum to either a new initiate or someone who's about to die. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm also, I've been trying to figure out the whole story because I know that this is probably like also how they ex express or, you know, explain that history, but it does definitely look like with my 2023 eyes that as one person's getting, you know, the, the, the blessing, I guess you could say the other guy is like, y'all need to back up <laughs> and holding like a finger up to him. Yeah, like, I don't Whoa. know the I don't know the full context of this image. I imagine it's supposed to be depicting like the disagreement between the Cathars and the monks about the ritual that you see being performed there. And so that's why the the guy in the back there is like raising like a wagging no 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 figure at the Catholics, I think. But I don't know enough about the context of like who drew this image and when I imagine it's a medieval illustration, but uh, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> certain, but yeah, I'm, uh, I'm pretty sure that it's the, the Cathars on the left being depicted as giving the consolamentum. Mm -hmm. And I have always wondered this, and I think you might be the first person I've been next to while I've been wondering this. Um, well, next to in, in the sense of a digital space, uh, so the monks, they have this little ring of hair around their head. Do you know why they do that? Oh, that's a great question. I don't. <laughs> I, I bet I could. Monk, ring, hair. <laughs> a tonsure, according to Wikipedia, is the practice of cutting or shaving some or all of the hair or of the scalp, uh, or rather the hair on the scalp as a sign of religious devotion or humility. Uh, the term comes from the Latin meaning clipping. Uh... I guess it just it just looked pious, I guess. I just wish I could be a fly on the wall for that one of telling the first guy he's got to shave off most of his hair. I want to know, like, the second person to do it. Like, why did you come <laughs> along? Like, the first person, like, people have gotten bad haircuts all the time. But, like, who was the guy who was like, you know what? That guy's onto something. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Who is the first follower? That's the real question. Was he just beautiful? It's just like, oh man, well, the hot guy did it. Trying to so emulate I... <laughs> in whatever way was possible, but picking all the wrong ways. Could 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 be. I'll have to come on later after doing a lot more research and we can talk about the tonsure. Absolutely. So 
Now, now that you you you've got you've acquired this information in your studies um, while you were studying another thing, if I understood that correctly. Yeah. Did this? I I'm asking a large question, and I'm trying to make it not such a large question. Yeah, but yeah. I'm thinking about all the things that you've studied. I know I don't know all of the things that you've studied, but I know over time it's probably adjusted your perspective on everything, whether it's by a little bit or a lot. And so, has this like? affected you significantly in any way in learning this or did you just find it like extremely interesting oh i mean uh, it's very affecting just in like the uh, like thematically what's going on here right because this like predates the witch trials this predates you know the genocide of the north american indigenous population and like there are a Mm -hmm. lot of uh, there are a lot of similarities in all of those events, right? Of of um, religion being used as a a cudgel, basically, against either a social movement or a social group that uh, is disliked by those with religious authority. Uh, disliked is too weak of a word, but you know what I mean. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just interesting this particular example where sometimes you. You don't even need that. Like sometimes you don't even need that pre-existing social group for for power to still be the cudgel that it is, and end up at, like beating the group into existence that they were trying to stamp out. I don't know. It says something about like the resilience of belief that like people who maybe didn't even have strong opinions on these matters before when. They faced authority who wanted to stamp them out for believing one thing or another. They like doubled down into the thing that they weren't supposed to believe if the skeptic account is true. Right. Uh, uh, yeah. And um, I don't know. I just find that kind of powerful. I find that kind of resistance to that Inquisition powerful idea, whether or not the group preexisted the Inquisition. Um, it's interesting. And then, yeah, it's also interesting as in, in that, like, these methods would be used again in, um, you know, the witch trials, uh, because, again, that's another example of like there weren't there was not actually this counter church of women who were secretly riding on brooms at night and, you know, <laughs> messing yeah. with the cows or whatever. But um, darn tootin', they were going to do an inquisition and, and, and witch trials anyway and kill tens of thousands of, of people for it anyway. And, and similarly there, like you, then you get people who are like, you know what? Fuck you. I am a witch. Shut up. It's good, actually. So, yeah, I find that sort huh. of reaction formation interesting. And this is just an early example of it. Maybe or maybe the Cathars just existed all, all along. And, you know, it's it's. More just a straightforward example of another group being um, stamped out by uh, power. Um, mm-hmm. Both both the skeptic case and the traditional case, um, I think, are both uh, just interesting, leading me to think about interesting things. Oh, uh, yeah, my my whole brain's going like, "Whoa, man!" Because. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, because I do distinctly remember having a conversation with someone very recently and I'm to keep it short and keep it anonymous, but pretty much of like, hey, this is a lot worse than you think the things that you're saying, the things that you're doing and um, realizing that uh, telling another person to their face like 
this word used to mean bad things, but now we're using it in an yeah. empowering way. And I'm just sitting here. I'm like, no, wait, I'm doing that right now. Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> Where are we in the in the erasure track line? Like, hold on, I need to check the stats. But it's consistently moving around. I think, for my understanding of how the world's functioning right now. I don't know if anything I said just made a lick of sense. I'm not sure I'm tracking exactly what you're talking about, but that's fine. I mean, <laughs> it's a tough subject matter to be precise about, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I hope I hope y'all, the listeners learn something. I hope they don't take what I told them too seriously, because like I said, I'm not an expert, and this is a subject matter about which like experts disagree. So I probably got a bunch of shit wrong, but um, it's still stuff that I find really interesting for all those reasons we were just talking about. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. <sighs> I'm having a lot of thoughts all at once. Um, is there anything else you'd like to touch on? Oh, there is one other fun word I didn't that I could have said, like consolamentum, that I didn't end up saying. It's not a, like a great like ending point because it's just a random factoid, but. I didn't get to say the word bogo meal, um, which is fun to say. So I will explain that uh, according to the traditional narrative about the Cathars, the the Cathars originally got their dualist ideas um, from adherents of a another Christian group called the Bogomils, who were in um, Central Asia, like uh, the Caucasus, that region, um, and. Uh, yeah, they followed a, th there was a church leader whose name was Bogomil, B-O-G-O-M-I-L, uh, and they were a dualist form of Christianity that was opposed to the Catholics, I think in like the 900s or something, I could, I'm, could be hundreds of years off there, but um, the traditional narrative says that the, the Cathars get their dualism, they're, they're kind of related to the Bogomils, who did exist, uh, at least as far as we know. Um, and the Bogomils probably trace their their ideas uh, back to uh, sort of some of the same ancient stuff that we were talking about last time I was on with the groups like the Sethians. So, yeah. Anyway, yeah. Bogomil, another fun word you can say, along with consolamentum. That word obviously sounds like Bogomils. Like, uh -huh. like buy one, get buy one. Buy one, get one. Yeah, yeah, it does. And that's and funny. I don't know. I don't know what to do with that, but it is funny. It flosses my brain lobes really nicely, so yeah. that's all it needs to do. <laughs> I do want to look up the 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 word rooting and meanings and stuff like that. I don't know what the word is for that, but the etymology is thank the word you you're looking for. Yes, the etymology of bogo meals. One of my favorite websites on the internet is edimonline.com where you can go and type in any word and it's like this english word comes from the french circa 1200 and the french meant this which in turn comes from the latin the it's fucking amazing you can spend a lot of time on that website if you're a weirdo like me i went to go look up my name but it was a mistake oh <laughs> Just really quickly, page one, I, t I typed in Roma and I get Romany, Roman, Rome, Romance, Romanesque, Gallo-Roman, Romania. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of things that could be referred to by that name of yours. That's a tough I, one. I don't know which one it would be. My mom just picked it up from a soap opera. Like, 
Oh. <laughs> oh well, that'll be my little mystery for the rest of my life. But heck yeah, um, I feel I I feel like I learned a lot, and I feel like there's a lot that I can reflect on as well, and like do more research on. Is there is there any places you recommend to find as accurate quote unquote as possible information on this? If we wanted to do more homework on it. It's tough because, like, if you go to the Wikipedia page for Cathar, it's just going to give you the traditional narrative, right? Um, which, yeah. you know, might be right, but it's only half half of the story, or at least or at least it's only one possible story. Um, so you kind of have to read a lot to be really sure. Um, but a good bibliography, uh, I got a bibliography from, uh, there's a YouTube channel that uh, I am massively indebted to and I, on this subject matter that I love called Esoterica. And his video on the Cathars has a good um, bibliography. But his video in general, are, or and also there's a Let's Talk Religion video and a um, Esoterica video that are like companions to one another that that lay out both the perspectives too, um, in pr- better than I did, frankly. But but they're like <laughs> experts, and so it's it's more like it, it'll it'll be good that you heard this first because you know it's it's more like uh, they assume that you're already interested in this sort of stuff thing. So let yeah. me be your introduction to uh, people who did more research on it than me. The difference between two people who are definitely very much deep rooted in the topic and somebody holding my hand into the, the first set of stairs into exactly. the topic. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you, by the way, uh, I appreciate it. I appreciate it very, very much. Of course. <laughs> Thanks for having me on. So I will do my best to remember to find YouTube links for those and put them in the discord for, and the show notes as well. Um, yeah. Just let me in case. link you. I'll just send them to you now uh, while you're yeah. doing your spiel. Heck yeah. I think that's it. I think that's all of the things. I think we did the thing. The thing is happy. Um, I will. I think it's it's time to do the outro. I think so. I don't think I have anything other things. Okay. I'm so bad at transitions. <laughs> They're tough. <laughs> you kind of just have to bowl through and be like, all right, we're doing this now. It's, we're on Discord. I can't see bodily language of like, oh, you're good. Okay, let's move forward. Now I'm like, I eat. Uh. Right. Um. <laughs> so, Wheels. Yeah. Where can people find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me uh, on Twitter at Singular Wheels. And you can find me on Very Random Encounters. Uh, that might be it right now. Um, yeah, you can also buy my book of Very Random Encounters. Just search for, um, <laughs> sorry, not my book. It is the book that I wrote with the Very Random Encounters people, but it's not called Very Random Encounters. The book is called The Ultimate Random Encounters Book. So just search that on Amazon or anywhere books are sold, uh, and you should be able to find that. It's, ni- it's a nice book of tabletop role-playing Random encounters, uh, encounter prompts uh, help you kind of get the improv juices flowing um, in a tabletop session. Uh, And then you can also listen to me play tabletop games on very random encounters. And then, yeah, Twitter at Singular Wheels. Hell yeah. You can find me on the Internet as well if you want to. I think Wheels was definitely the more interesting one this episode. But if you decide you want to find me on the Internet. Oh, uh, please. (laughs) It is at twitter.com forward slash I appreciate your butt. That is I-A-P-P-R-E-C-I, the number eight B-R-U-T-T. Or, yeah, 
I can spell. You put an R in there, but <laughs> where it didn't belong, but I think you will get it. B-U-T-T. The, you know, have you watched the, Be- or have you listened to the Beetlejuice musical soundtrack? I don't think so. I mean, I've seen the movie. The musical, uh, the long story, I should probably do a Hyperfix episode about Beetlejuice the musical. Uh-huh. You but, said it uh, twice, we gotta be careful. Uh, oh. Uh, <laughs> um. So, in the musical, there is a song where he's introducing himself to uh, Barbara and Adam. Um, and he does a whole thing where he spells out his name, but stumbles over it and completely fu- fucks it up. <laughs> and he's like, ah, who like ah, who gives a fuck? And then like cheerleaders in the background start spelling it correctly in a very cheerleader style. Because um, it looks like it would be Beetlegeist, right? That's the whole thing. Yes, but he spells it uh, the, with the juice. Like juice, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And every time I spell out my name, I used to be able to do it perfect every single time, but now, in the recent years, it's just falls right out the window, and I have that exact moment in my head every single time. <laughs> um, I'll find the song for you. There's cute animatics for it. but uh, So you could find my personal Twitter there. <laughs> Um, and you can also find this podcast as a whole at the hyperfixation pod or the hyperfix pod at twitter.com and tumblr.com. Um, and thank you to Moonshot for giving me this podcast. Uh, you can find Moonshot at Moonshot Pods on the twitter.com and Moonshot Network on twitch.tv, I believe. It's one or the other. Thank you to Kingdom for editing these episodes. Uh, that is Tachyon Kingdom at twitter.com. So if you need an editor for your podcast, uh, go talk to Kingdom. Highly recommend it. Does amazing work. And last but not least, thank you to Offuscate. That is O-F-U-S-K-A-T-E for my intro and outro music. You can find them on Twitter, Instagram, SoundCloud, and yeah, just those three places. And if you need podcast music, that's your person. And I think that's it. That is all of the things. I did all of the things. Look at us. (laughs) So everybody, be safe. Don't die. Drink your water. Take your vitamins. And badoo. Woo. and come back and tell our own fanfic-inspired actual plays with them. We do things like a Star Wars podcast that takes place 300 years after The Last Jedi. What if any Zoids media was good? We tell stories in those spaces that are better than the ones that the corporations tell us because we're not f***ing cowards. 
please come join us at Riley Hopkins and their amazing friends to hear a plethora of wonderful stories every once in a while on the Moonshot Podcast Network. Riley Hopkins and their amazing friends. Hosted by me, Riley Hopkins.